Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This highly practical podcast series explores HR and management hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life people professionals. Brought to you by Actors Software, our aim is to build a better workplace for people. The HR Uprising is about collaborating and supporting each other to build the confidence and skills to rise up to each challenge and deliver real, lasting business value. You can find out more at hruprising.com or join our LinkedIn community. Now introducing your host, chartered psychologist, best-selling author, entrepreneur and speaker, Lucinda Carney. Hello and welcome to the 99th episode of the HR Uprising podcast. I can hardly believe it. We are having a super duper countdown and honestly, the guests over the next three weeks, I'm so excited to have them join us. So this week, the episode is all about energy and let's face it, could it really couldn't be any more appropriate, could it? As we get to the end of January and we start February, oh, let's just hope that we all start to feel a bit more energised. And that's what we're going to talk about this week with the fantastic Perry Timms, all about the the history of, of, of um, energy, well, maybe not the history, but certainly how we can think about in maintaining Uh, invigorating and energising ourselves and our workforce. It was great to have Perry on. We recorded this just before Christmas and uh, I think you'll really enjoy this. So do tune in now for my 99th HR Uprising episode with the fantastic Perry Timms. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. Um, This week I am joined by somebody that many people will know well. He's a very well-known influencer, um, communicator uh, and change agent and he's got one of the best job titles that I'm aware of. He is the founder and chief energy officer at People and Transformational HR Limited. I'm sure many of you have come across Perry. So Perry Tim, thank you so much for coming on the HR Uprising podcast. Thanks, Lucinda. Great to be here. We finally made it. I know. This is it. We've talked about it remotely, haven't we? And, and finally got round to it. And one of the triggers for it um, was I was lucky enough to review your book that you've recently um, put out that I've got here in front of me, The Energised Workplace. Um, and I thought, wow, what a what a relevant topic for all of us, um, which is why I was keen to talk to you. We are actually recording this just before Christmas, just as we've announced going into tier, well, I'm in tier four, I think you're not. Um, but uh, just basically, we're aware that everyone's going to go back and energy is a premium, a premium resource, isn't it? So we wanted to make this as useful as possible for people. Great. So firstly, thanks for the review. It's uh, it's nice when um, somebody like you as a peer gets their hands on it and can see what my intent was for it. Um, and of course, it was all conceived prior to any of this and it was written and finalised before it. And then it was only the tiny little edit bits you get the chance to sort of talk about it. But, but interestingly, in the opening sort of salvo of the book, I talked about an already existing quiet pandemic and that was this concept of peak work and where we are working so hard and so relentlessly that we've got nothing left and what was concerning me was the impact on us as vessels of human energy and I was thinking we've done something wrong here we've got the machinery all completely wrongly calibrated and then the pandemic pops up (laughs) and it's almost like oh my dear I you know we've got a proper one now 
Absolutely. And um, I, I mean, I was reflecting on it. Obviously, I appreciate you would have written it before the pandemic came along. And I look at what 2020 has been like for the HR profession. I think there's very few professions that have been more profoundly um, impacted. Well, OK, nursing and NHS, actually. I, that, that's a, But, you know, yeah. in, in terms of a business profession, they, they've had a huge amount to deal with this year, haven't they? So I, I imagine that certainly what we'll do as we go through some of the tips, it will be really good for people to think, actually, time for me yeah. to recharge look after my energy because i need to have something in the tank um, totally for, yeah. for going forwards there but yeah. what what made you sort of passionate about this topic so I, i've got that title as you described in the opening sequence and it was just a little bit of play on ceo because at the time it was just me so i was the ceo of me and i thought i was stupid um uh, but one client in particular used to ask me to come in and only gave me the remit of the work on arrival into the office to work with their hr team um, and after a couple of these sort of sessions with like the employee relations team or the recruitment team and stuff, I sort of said to the HR director, I said, look, I like it because it's all random and it's very in the moment. I said, but I'm just, you know, what, what am I actually doing for you here? And she said, ah, she said, well, when you come in and then work with a team, she says their energy levels are lifted visibly for a good few weeks. And I'm like, oh, that's what you've got me for, almost like an energizer. So that's where the energy thing came in. Um, I've been sort of synonymous with having enthusiasm and sort of boundless energy. I remember back in the day on, on projects that were even getting a bit stuck and a bit, you know, kind of slow. I was still the one going, come on, let's see what we can do and try and cheerlead and raise people's sort of attention to what we could still do rather than stuff that we couldn't do anymore because it was on hold. So, yeah, so I guess I've always had this approach and I look back on my career and thought, all the time, even when I've been facing some really tricky stuff, I've somehow found the energy reserves to get through it. And then I look at other people and think they don't. And I didn't want to judge them. I wanted to think about the system they were working in because uh, the system I was working in, there was enough latitude for me to do it. But some people just don't have that. So that got me thinking the system's more wrong than people. And therefore, we're not fixing people. We should fix the system to enable people to have space to regenerate their energy. I used to commute so much. And all I would see is these early starters and late arrivers who just looked exhausted every day. And I thought, that's not right. So it's kind of that that sparked it, really. So it's, it's the words that came into mind there, things like resilience, um, things like change agent, positivity. Yeah. From you as a personality type, would those all be synonymous with your natural yeah they would yeah and so I was a little bit careful not to play that well I can make a choice so can you because I just don't think it's that simple I mean there are some you know motivational speakers out there who you know kind of bang the Tony Robbins kind of drum and just go it's all within you can do it if you want to I don't buy that because I think some people are trapped within a system so I got the chance to sort of manifest all this thinking when um, a TEDx opportunity came up to speak and I knew what I wanted to talk about and I said to them look I'll need to do some research for this but I want to talk about human energy at work because that's that was getting to become important to me so I did a bit of research and I found some staggering statistics about mental ill health at work and stress-related absences costing us billions and you know 100 million days and stuff I'm like this is ridiculous so the more I looked into it the more I realized that most people were caged in their work and didn't get the chance to be free and I found this concept of freedom to almost like illustrate that people can go to the edge of the known boundaries of their workplace where there was lots of excitement and regenerative activity but most people were still locked in the cage so I definitely didn't want to subscribe to that happy clappy bang the tambourine and just shout yeah kind of thing it wasn't that simple it's people are trapped and I need to try and help them work within the confines that they've got 
So if we've got people who are listening to this who are obviously they're in HR and actually more than most um, roles, we have the opportunity to change the system potentially. Yeah. What, what signs, if you were to look around the organisation you're in, would people see to realise that actually they might be strapped, um, you know, the culture or they, they might feel trapped in that? Yeah, it, uh, one's really obvious is that people are, are kind of withdrawn and almost entrenched. So I get lots of my HR colleagues when I do consulting work and even on speaking stuff who will talk about silo working. And I'm like, OK, well, I've seen the opposite of that. I've seen very high flourishing organisations where people don't even recognise those boundaries. They cut across them. They form multidisciplinary teams and solve problems and their energy levels are really high. So I look for that as the early sign. And if people are so entrenched in finance or research or whatever it is, that's a sign that they've kind of hunkered down so much that they are not looking for collaborative cross-cutting efforts. And that worries me because that energy cycle isn't replenished when you're just entrenched within your own discipline. So where I've seen HR teams that are, you know, pretty good even in the face of adversity around this it's because they are up and out and they are off and they are working with the tech team and they're working with the customer team they're not entrenched at all so that's the first obvious sign if you can see entrenchment and you can kind of feel it as well as analyze it through employee engagement surveys just as one point of data then you know there's the starting point of some trouble then of course there's high attrition then of course there's high levels of absence but also look out for things like disputes as in like disputes within teams disputes within managerial chains the more of those you got the more your energy is in the wrong place so when you get things like bullying harassment or grievances and that yeah, sort of thing right. then that's people putting negative energy in which of course brings totally people right. down you've using all that energy the totally interesting right. um interestingly i've I was thinking the HR business partner model, uh, yeah. I'm talking to Dave Ulrich coming up actually, but I mean, I think you don't have to, one of the beauties of being an HR person and learning and development, actually, I think almost more so the learning and development mm. is you do get that cross organizational mm. access, don't you? Mm. Um, yeah. So you can be the energizer, you can be that change agent. Yeah. Um, if you are an HR business partner, I guess, then the key here is making sure you don't become too native and, and you are right. able to, um, pepper and network with other people to, to make sure you break down those silos. Totally right. And uh, and you're right to pick on those two disciplines particularly because, yeah, learning development professionals do get to do that because they've got kind of internal clients who commission them. And HR business partners are there as this conduit between the people strategy and its operationalised elements, but then also to feed in operational intelligence back into HR to say, we, we haven't got enough flexible work in here because these teams just cannot keep up with their workload or whatever it might be. So you're right. And, and therefore, that intelligence source is really important because that can impact the design and the design can then create the system and the system can help people regenerate energy. It is simple in its sounding, but it's not in its application. And you're right, some HRBPs do tend to feel like they're too aligned to their business unit and therefore they don't kind of play the HR strategy game and they just bend and shape and do whatever they can for the business which might sound right but actually it's almost like but you just created a sort of a, an offshoot enterprise that doesn't play by the same rules that everybody else does and then you've got trouble because when you're trying to align rewards or absence or whatever then it's difficult so um yeah they are an energy conduit and learning definitely is so so one of the things i really advocate in the book is just how powerful a regenerator of energy learning is when we learn new stuff when we acquire new skills when we almost force ourselves into new frontiers energy raises 
Yeah, learning actually is a it is an energizer, isn't it? Um, and actually, when you've got low energy, you don't really feel like um, developing in yourself. Any of the renewal type activities or exercising and things like that. Whereas if you can maybe break the cycle and learn something yeah. new or do something new, then that that tips it the other way. Exactly. So, um, just going back to your example earlier about when you were working, that you were going into that organisation, yeah. and that she said, "Oh, you you are basically." energizing them what yeah. behaviors were you doing what were you doing with them that did that so so really what we were doing was sat down as a team and we were saying now what are our collective challenges uh, like in the immediacy right so they were bought into a sort of you know a three five year hr vision and they were having to do quite a lot of adaptation because the organization was going a lot more to online and that was having an impact on on brick mortar um, sort of place and so on so we were looking at all those challenges and then they were sort of starting to articulate some business functions that were a bit dysfunctional taking a lot of time both in recruitment actually and in ER and then also in learning so we were looking a little bit forensically at those and I was saying well how, how are we tackling them and I was almost doing a bit of analysis on how they were running their projects allocating their workload and whether people were stepping into spaces that were strongly aligned to their strengths or they were playing out of their norms and so therefore it was a bit of a struggle and we would reconstitute the sort of plan and the method and the approach and define goals and then I'd take some of those teams and individually chat to them and say okay we've agreed this kind of team charter for a while but what about you individually and they'd air a few things that were going on and I'd try and help them think about what they were distracted by where there was friction and tension where they had some good flow and how they could again start to re-imagine I suppose their workload and it was those individual ones that I think were the most lasting because people came out of them going I've got a plan I didn't even know I needed one but I've got one now and it was that clarity of what you're up against how good are you at doing it and where can you get some help from that was it so it's kind of coaching in in yeah. many ways without being brought in as a coach yeah. but a kind of more kind of collaborative question Certainly. what can you do and moving people from being maybe when we look down we get kind of a bit entrenched don't we get stuck in yeah. what we're doing and helping people to look up and work out yeah. where they're going forwards yeah. completely so, and, and the key word for me was clarity. Mm. And I see it all the time. We carry in our heads almost like our entire project work portfolio. And it doesn't make sense. So we took it out of the head and we put it into things like applications and to-do lists and, and a, a number of different variances. And we actually tried to put some measures to it as well. We were almost like, well, how long is that going to take? And it's like, I haven't even thought about it. And so, yeah. you know, I'd, I'd say to them stuff like, well, is it two hours work or is it a hundred hours work? It's like, no, it's not a hundred hours work. So what is it then? And they kind of come up with six and it'd be like, well, set yourself six hours, then you'll get it done. And they just felt more in control of their yeah. work because they're well, defined they'd almost atomized it yeah yeah and you're taking away that overwhelm you know when you've got yeah. your to-do list and you're kind of going oh my word I've got so much to do and you're not quite sure if you can work it down chunk it down then it's all more achievable and then you've got freedom around it and you feel totally. it's achievable it's all in your head but actually it's yeah. you feel completely different to it yeah, so, exactly. so those um, I mean those are really useful things for any of us to think about if we're feeling a bit overwhelmed we're feeling a bit low energy break things down work out totally. what can I do um yeah. you know mm. how do I chunk it down um and, right. and and how much time will it do all those sorts of things is really practical but actually energizing mm. I do quite a bit of sort of mentoring and even some career coaching within it for people I mean I love to do that because there are so many good professionals out there I want to help where I can but also I get great inbound so I feel like I'm in touch with the real world as part of what I do as a consultant and often they have unclear career ambitions and all we do is we start writing them down putting names to them starting to think about activities that explore them and all of a sudden it's like there's an epiphany and they're so then 
energized towards an option that they didn't know they had. And it's like, I don't think I did anything. All I did was just let you talk it out and define it. <laughs> but it's really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and again, maybe that's something because because if you've got someone who's a standalone HR, probably no one is they're expected to do that for everybody in their organisation, but they are mm. not necessarily getting anyone to do that for them. So whether they can get a mentor or whether we can get a buddy and buddy mm. up with other people and say, well, what do I want mm. to do and crystallise it? Uh, then that yeah. is again engaging. <laughs> I'm a big believer in that the more you can pair up with people in, in specifics rather than general terms, um, the more you've got somebody who you can chat to, who can help you make sense, who can be a critical friend, who can challenge. And all of those things just stop it whirring around in your head, never going anywhere. You kind of land them when you start talking them out and you start to write them down. And I've known people do stuff like mood boards off the back of that. So they go and cut up bits of magazine and they create a mood board and they pin it somewhere and have a look at it when they're kind of thinking, what am I up to? Oh that i'm after that suddenly it changes their whole frame of energy because they realize what they're doing is in pursuit of something they want i mean that's an interesting one because I've, I've been doing a bit of this sort of gratitudes in the morning i've been listening to that yep. during the lockdown and and i have to say the whole way in which we can it, we can tweak our thinking and our mindset it makes yep. a massive difference to you to your well-being doesn't it and yeah um and that's essentially what you're doing with the mood board isn't it looking at something yeah. that you want um, totally and reshaping, right. changing your shape, uh, so changing your state, I guess, and changing your thoughts yeah. there. And again, I think yeah. um, HR professionals quite often having to deal with some of the negative stuff. So it's have, being able to flip your mood. Again, I, we, we've both got more of an L&DOD background, and I always felt that that is easier to do. Yeah. We, we get the nice bit of HR, if you like, whereas so. yeah. <laughs> where, I mean, it's much more future and, and can be much more exciting. Whereas a lot of HR mm. freshers are having to deal with a lot of the most difficult mm. stuff, um, mm. whether it's well-being issues or whether it's yeah. grievances, all of the, all of those type things. So again, being able to flip your mental um, yeah. thinking, reshape, uh, what is it? yeah, change your state is quite key, isn't it? And change, change yeah. your thinking there. It's interesting in the book that I deliberately didn't go into positive psychology or resilience. And that's not an, an omission. That was deliberate. What I wanted to do was make sure this was about the system that people are operating in, not individuals. There are lots of things people can do individually about things. Yeah. But I wanted to make sure that the blame was put on the system, not individual. So people are saying, you haven't got that in there. I'm like, I know. I did. It didn't feel right to put it in there. So I'm not trying to create, not trying to create the, um, you know, the kind of the resolution to sit with individuals. It is but not through just a little bit of stacking something in to get through a, a really tricky um operating system it's like well let's try and fix the system and then i'll be able to use all those tools better for me and then so you fix it for more people basically as yeah. well don't you because we exactly. are all part of that system so exactly in, that. in terms of that then talk to me a bit, bit about the system what what are the problems mm. that you'd you'd see predominantly so the first one I think is is role design. And I think there's just something about the cut and paste nature and it quite literally is. And, it, and I've said on record before, it drives me nuts. I see it. I'm in HR groups and I see some professionals post in that and say, has anybody got a job description for an admin assistant on a help desk? Because I want to cut and, pa cut and paste it. I'm like, that's, that's a crime because you can't be bothered to think about what's needed in your context. You just mm. want to lift and shift somebody else's and then expect them to come alive with that. I think that's awful. So there are things like that. I want to see us go intricately into design. Say, look, when you come into a role, you don't know what this role is all about. But after a while, 
you will we're going to give you enough to get you going but then we want you to have the ability to shape that role as you start to discover where you're best and what this role needs to have the most impact so i wanted to look at that so job role definitely and i love stuff like rob baker's job crafting i think that's just genius um, and so then i wanted to look at the system that those roles operate in and that's both at a team level but more at the kind of construct of organizational sort of functions and i wanted to think about how could we do it differently so again i avoided going cliched and just saying agile is the answer let's just do that i mean it's part of it don't get me wrong i wanted to look at the whole thing and i wanted to look at how we can think about where are people best and that and use that as a design factor because i think we just slot people into these kind of generic slot you know holes and i'm like people aren't like that that we waste i don't know how much talent by people having a job description that doesn't include something they're often brilliant at. Yeah. <laughs> so i'm like how can we get over that well we design it from humans out <laughs> and and that that's the perhaps big and controversial thing you do that in an sme a bit because you, you basically yeah. you have who you've got and you go right okay so they're also happy they might be in marketing but they also have to be particularly good at this how can i get value out of that person yeah. in that organization it's been that whole person um yeah I mean, it goes both ways, but maybe larger organisations, you're more um, yeah. pigeonholed, maybe. Yeah. And, and and there's a warning there in that a lot of the high levels of stress, I mean, entrepreneurs, as an example, almost seem to thrive on doing 60, 70 hours. They're almost like, no, I want to do that. That's why I stepped into this space, because I'm doing it for me. I'm not doing it for the man. But big organisations almost get that, but people are doing it reluctantly because I think it's just the force way of being. So therefore, there is something about how can we avoid that? Now, big organisations are made up of micro enterprises. And it's almost yeah. like, well, take that design concept and just put it into the micro and just see what you can do around it. I don't buy that managers are completely helpless about the construct of their team. No. They're, they're not. They can change it. Mm but they don't know how. And that's where we can come in within HR and OD because we can help them. We can help them recalibrate within. It doesn't mean a total disruption. It just means you look at all the work you've got and you say, who are we and how, how can we best tackle all this? And then people get involved in the co-creation process. There's this thing called the IKEA effect, isn't there, where you love what you build. That's what I want to see people do more. Yeah, and I'm thinking, obviously, the... Um you are absolutely as a manager if you if you focus on your people first if you know your people and what their passions are and your point about entrepreneurs it's often because they're passionate about what they do so they don't it doesn't all feel like work so yes. if you can get to people's passions in the organization and it is interesting you saying it's about the system it's almost but you're still it's about the people within the system is really what you're focusing <laughs> on isn't it it's very Fair. much about the individual talents yeah. but finding yeah. a way for them to be yeah. Yeah. utilized and yeah, what I've realised is the system is needed to get you going because there is a sense of like familiarity and comfort and understanding where you're at, your climate, let's call it your climate. Mm. And that needs some system parameters like protocols. But I love principles. So in the organisation I've got, there's only eight of us, but we adopt a lot of principles and they really hold us firm on things we don't want to, you know, kind of fall foul of. After that, anything we do system wise is down to the people, like you say, testing, discovering, adapting and shifting. So so we've just constituted some team agreements so that we understand how we can rely on each other and it's that level that bonds you as a team and, and you understand how you appreciate you know each other and what you do and then we make sure we align ourselves both in learning and then in our expertise um, so yeah I mean it kind of emerges so um, Kirsten on the team is an example has got a real passion for sustainability so she leads on our impact and our impact includes client work inside the organization but also what we do for the planet 
So that's almost just lining somebody up with a passion they've already got. So if you've got, um, is that one of your principles, sustainability? Yeah. 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 So we we want to operate in in not just an offset, but a carbon positive way. Yeah. So, um, I mean, how, how would you say principles are differing from values? they're not that different they're not that different i think you almost have principles and they can manifest themselves in one or more values so for example we have a principle that we won't sell to anybody but we'll be you know an abridged enthusiasts and we want people to know that and come to us and so that would be you know you could manifest that in a value that will be you know client centric or you know content first or we won't spam people on emails or whatever it is so yeah there are values i think that that come out of your principles but i always almost think your principles are easier to agree and then you can manifest them as a a short series of statements that are your values we haven't really got values but we really strongly believe in principles yeah and I can see you there would be an overlap there in terms of those and then you talk about your team agreement what would give Mm. some examples of that because these sound like useful things that people can do for themselves as well so team agreements are brilliant so for example um, you know in an internal meeting if we're booking each other in we'll be considerate to things like we've got three working months so we'll be considerate of the times they're on and off and if we have to bail out of one we'll give people loads of notice and we will not just not turn up to each other's own internal things so it's just principles like that and I think you know sort of um, we want people to opt in to work so if there's a new piece of work we declare the work is in and how we select people to do it firstly is on people who say I'd really like to get involved in that whether I've got the experience or not so it's those kind of things that we've agreed on and they really do make a difference because people feel like it's a charter that's been constructed by everybody not just enforced. And I guess that, that in itself is also energising, isn't it? Because you're feeling yeah. valued, you feel, oh, yeah, I'm excited about what you're doing and, and have yeah. the, you've got opportunities. It's very yeah. much future, isn't it? It's in terms of exploration yeah. Um, of, yeah. of, of opportunities. And it's easier to deal with the negative energy too. So if somebody is not at, on duty and doesn't check in and therefore you kind of think, oh, that's a bit odd. You, you feel like because it's in the team agreement, you can have the conversation without it feeling like it's a bit nasty and it kind of creates that horrible energy vibe. It's just like there's a reason that, you know, we want to know that you're around because we want to know you're safe and we want to you, you know, we want you to feel included even remotely. So we've instilled these sort of daily check ins. And so, yeah, it makes what could be an awkward conversation, not a kind of fragmenting or fracturing conversation. It's all about actually bonding and binding and it just makes the outcome for that a lot easier and people actually come away from it thinking that wasn't tough I I stood by a principle and I got it across to somebody in a way that they felt comforted by rather than challenged so you said then you talked about a daily check-in that's something you do to check in with everybody but they know the purpose of it is to check in on your well-being and your energy as opposed to a presenteeism which I mean and that's and I I think I I want to go into um uh, yeah. I do want to go into the tips thing and also I just okay. want to explore briefly sort of the, the the spiritual aspect of it because there was some I was like hang on we're talking about chakras and things like that yeah. um, I, I'd be keen to to talk about that but just before we go there mm. the, the whole homeworking thing and yeah. the zoom yeah. culture I mean that has been fascinating when we started out yeah. right in the you know, Easter everybody seemed like had loads of time and then all mm. of a sudden feels like everyone's yeah they're energy but everyone's just got they're, they're online all the time I don't know what's what's your observations about home working and and managing energy yeah. 
So what I think we've done is we have missed out with what I would call spontaneous triggers. So um, and we've replaced them with formal, almost like disciplines. So, you know, if you and I worked in the same physical space, I'd just pop over to you, sit by your desk, we'd have a little chat and we'd talk about an issue where we needed to resolve it. But, it, but because we can't do that, we've booked a formal check in that lasts half an hour. And actually, we kind of fill that half an hour, whether we like it or not, sometimes. And it's just like it's another punishing schedule. So I don't like what we done there now there are some alternatives right so since even writing the book i've seen a system operating a tech company where people can block out some time in their calendar and just say look if you need to talk to me here's the link to google Meet. just pop in because i'm not i'm interruptible and it's almost replacing the kind of sit by the desk or knock on the door thing yeah and now i've seen a piece of workplace software which is virtual workplace software where you have an avatar with a green ring around it if you're accessible and a red one if you're on a call so i can literally pop into your office i think we need to replicate more of those because they're the little energy sparks Mm -hmm. that we're missing out on so we're at a punishing schedule and even if we didn't feel it 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 would come across as punishing because there's no gaps there's no keyword punctuation so um yeah so some of those things can work where you just make yourself available informally less formally i think that's where we've got it wrong and i'll see hopefully see 2021 starting to correct some of that because there's no need to do it um and then things like all hands and and you know kind of briefings and and learning events um if anything's over three hours forget it i mean that's the tolerance we so we deliberately make sure everything's three hours if we're in a learning environment with people because anything more than that is just it kills you you might be able to do you can do you can manage a, a full day's training course when you're face to face with people can't you, you can maintain not, energy there but you just can't do it online yeah no, it's nuts. and you're right the energy is just exact almost from the mm. thought of it <laughs> so yeah. so what i found is some of our three-day labs that we've brought in actually you get to the sort of two hours 45 i think blimey that's gone by really quick i mean you're still quite tired because of the concentration and the mm. dialogue and because we're not in person we sort of fill in verbally what we would have normally done physically mm. but at the end of it if it's gone quick you're like well that must be all right Mm. get the interaction going yeah I mean I've I've learned those sorts of things a bit I think we have it's amazing how much you can achieve virtually online but it is not it's not entirely the same you can't it's not Mm. complete move on so yeah so so using that and I I think in order to make the most of the informal check-in you know whether it's teams Mm. or whatever people use Mm. we do have to therefore manage our presence but we also probably need to manage our space then to make sure that we're not back to back in meetings so that we yeah. therefore do have the energy for someone to knock on your office door and metaphorically and, and, and yeah. have access to you. Yeah. Otherwise, I think people end up sitting with their not available yeah. all day because they're just trying to get on with yeah. stuff because they're in so many meetings. Yeah, that feels a little bit weird and, and, and almost inculcates the isolation. So I've rarely liked it when that happens. I mean, short messaging, whether it's on Slack or WhatsApp or whatever, has been a godsend because, yeah. like you know, the team and I are in, in all different parts of the UK and world. And actually, the short messaging format has really kept us together. So we've tried to do that. We've also experimented with, and again, this came out since, and so it isn't in the book, asynchronous meetings where we record a bit of video, send it on to somebody, they record a response send it back to us then then we consume the meeting in a dispersed sense without having to connect in for half an hour and that's quite cool that that's like five minutes each instead of 30 minutes of conversation but we still get the same exchange so so we try to work i can't imagine that that actually you get the information because you're not getting this backwards and forwards it's out of well it's yeah 
because I, I think half of meeting time is often a brief and an understanding. So you get that bit over, then you get a reaction and then you think, right, we just need five minutes then to explore that two point one thing that hasn't quite worked out. And then we come together and do that. So we're kind of thinking, oh, that's a good way of saving effort we we did that mainly because people were on different time zones, time zones yeah i can imagine yeah anyway. it's a good idea so just that stops you having meeting after meeting after meeting because you can video it and ping it off and then get it yeah watch it when you want and i've started to do it with clients so instead of clients having to spend hours on the phone to me or whatever i've said just record me an audio file and i'll play it back and it saved them no end of time and they love it now <laughs> so some of them that's how they interact with me they send yeah. me an audio file saying here's the issue i want your thoughts great another good way of thinking about things and actually mm. a different way of working I'm, yeah. I'm not, not it's not quite the same thing as me overusing Siri that I, I, I was in a hurry <laughs> I, I do all my texts and stuff and whatsapps on and skypes because mm. we use skype a lot on Siri which is loads quicker and I'm very impatient mm. um, but you do get some fairly terrible um, typos if you don't read it back properly um, so tell me a little bit about the spiritual bit of, of, okay. of this I was intrigued by this. Yeah. So the more I spoke to people, the more I got the sense that we um, we need something to hang it on and we need something that validates this because we do talk about energy and depletion and spirit and all that kind of stuff, but we don't have anything to hang it on. So I knew of chakras. I'm not a yoga practitioner at all, but I knew of them. And it was the story in the book about the Russian athletes who were measured by this quantum measuring resource and I thought this is incredible but it got me thinking that we are energy vessels you know there are sparks going through our brain that turn into thoughts so I'm thinking oh how can I put some of this in and in fact the publisher was a little bit reluctant to have this in the book and I had to hold it and say well you published a whole book on it's not a typical Kogan page is it <laughs> nah. and so I stuck to my guns and they allowed it in if, as long as I made it a little bit more um, kind of business context I suppose but th this is why we're seeing things like yoga being introduced into the workplace and mindfulness some retreats and all that kind of stuff now the chakras and the energy sources whether whether i believe how they're defined is how we are or whether it's a very uh, nice interpretation like psychometrics i thought well it's no less hooky than mbti so let's give it a go and actually the more i read into it the more i looked at it the more i thought Blimey, there is something in this there is something in understanding perhaps the gut feeling and the kind of overwhelm mentally and, yeah or, Kind of thing so i just wanted to lay it out there and go we've got some tools that help us understand the flow of energy through us and from us um and and just hopefully spark some people into further exploration of that yeah and, i mean and energy is this kind this unspoken thing isn't it it's it's, a, yeah. it's hard to conceptualize so so yeah a different way of looking at it i thought it's good for you for getting that into a code yeah, yeah. so yeah. so i suppose it's great talking to you perry in terms of practical tips so mm. for people listening okay. if we yeah. were to round into those you've got your tools for the next 20 years oh before i go into practical tips because we'll, we'll kind of go on to that mm. and conclude on that bit but mm. um the 20 theme the 20 theme that's through that was that because mm. it was 2020 or was it was it what was, was it well it was interesting because as i was this is when i was conceptualizing the tedx talk into the book and i was trying to think how do you make 18 minutes into something that's worth reading 200 plus pages of and i started to sketch stuff out and it started to come that, that, that 20 appeared quite a lot because i was interested in pareto and whether 80 percent of our performance at work is determined by 20 percent of our energy or the other way around yeah so there was a lot of that going on and it just 
I just had to play with it a bit yeah. to kind of as a theme throughout. Yeah. And in the end, it was good because it kind of stuck me to a discipline, like you say, about a kind of an amorphous concept. Yeah, it so, gives yeah. it a theme. It does. It hangs it together. Every mm. chapter for the listeners, if you're not aware of Perry's book, The Energised Workplaces, it's got 20 in it in some form, hasn't it, basically? Mm. Yeah. So come on then, Let's talk, tell us a bit about tools and tips for people. Okay. So I think one of the first things to start to think about is, um, you know, describing yourself as an, as an energy source and, and, and how you um, come alive, I suppose. That's the thing. So often now when I'm coaching people, the first thing I ask them is tell me about a time when you came to life and what was going on and how your energy felt with that. And, and then use that. Keep coming back to that. So almost like paint yourself the pen picture of when you are at your flourishing best and somehow keep that in mind because that's your north star that's where you want to be as much as you can but if we don't define it we won't know it knowing it makes a difference to how you feel about your energy um, then that leads you on to the next thing which is to understand your cadence or your rhythm and by that i mean things like i am better in the mornings for complex drafting and creative thought so if i've got something to do and it's half past six in the evening i'm like nah, no chance leave it till me. half six in the morning exactly that like you know what i've even got up at four in the morning because i just want to do it and i loved it great so know your energy cadence and your rhythm so that you sign yourself up to things that are in the flow of who you are and how you are that's the second tip then the third tip is start to think about energy as a daily resource of yours and to map out what you think your energy is going to be challenged by in the day you have facing you so that you can kind of think oh i've got this tricky thing in the afternoon i'm going to need to you know get myself sparked up for that so therefore what i'm going to do in the middle of the day i'm going to do something that i know is good for me learning drawing whatever and i'll go into that and i'll feel totally different and and believe me that works so map your energy out then the other tip is to then journal your energy on a daily or weekly basis so that you are aware of what's pulling at your energy and draining it and what's giving you some energy and then start thinking I do too much depletion not enough regeneration so it's like we'll program some in there (laughs) do you know we quite literally schedule in something that you a lift that may be a person it may be a thing but be deliberate about that and then the other thing I think is so crucial is that thing I said I did with the team which is to atomize your work so you know how much time and effort you've got to put into certain things so that you time box work size whatever you want to call it but do not go into every day not knowing how many hours worth of work you have got on your plate that day to do I think the worst thing in lockdown has been this constant sense of never finishing that's not a good place to be yes because you're not necessarily getting the closure are you on, on things no. potentially you don't walk away from, well, yeah it, you need to you have to consciously do yeah. that whether it's a conscious um commute down the drive or yeah. you know, out with the dogs or yeah. you know, put, if, especially people who, who are working in their bedrooms or their mm. kitchens or something you've yeah. really got to do yeah. something to and to... then those physical things like you say so walking meetings and those kind of things i mean i don't tend to do so much of those but i do give myself some decompression some escape and whatever it might be but whether you're physical or mental on that one is down to you so know that a punctuation in terms of exercise or whatever mm. is going to be a good thing for you to do mm. Definitely. That's, that's it's um, links to uh, years ago. I used to train on the seven habits, and Covey would talk about renewal, sharpen mm. the saw, basically, and there mm. are four areas of it: so physical, spiritual, emotional, mm. um, and one that I've now forgotten. Um, but it, yeah. it, but it's basically this a similar model, but knowing so not just renewing in one way. Actually, it's, yeah. is it about learning or socials? The other one yeah. I've forgotten there. Um, but 
yeah, no, I, I think that that's really helpful stuff that we can all think of that perhaps people are not aware of. And it's actually yeah. taking a step back to consciously think about it, because often when our energy levels are at the lowest, yeah. that we don't actually feel no. able no. to take a step and think, OK, what exactly. do I need to do here? It's a con conscious spiral of, of almost like absence. So you're right. When we don't feel like it, we pay less attention to it. Then we get more tired and more tired. Then it gets harder to do. That's partly why I wanted to come up with those energy quotient things to spend 20 minutes just looking at one of those things to think, could that regenerate me even a little bit and pay attention to those? So whether that's learning or experimenting or socially connecting, whatever it is, these things are so important to us that yes. we haven't programmed them into our schedules and days. I don't mean to over formalize them, but just to give you those little boosts and those little nudges and so on. Yeah, definitely. But it's having the awareness of what those things are. So again, yeah. and this you can tie this into mental health because when your mental health is declining, then you're less likely to reach out to, let's exactly. say, having a chat with your best mate. You might go, oh, I'm, yeah. I haven't got the energy to do with it now or, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So making sure that we we do just yeah. keep on recharging, ironic, consciously recharge. The more stressed we are, the more we so socially withdraw when actually that's the opposite what, of what we really need, which is more help, more touch points, more stimulus. And it just seems to be a contra reaction. But I think it obviously comes from, you know, the sort of psychological makeup of us trying to protect ourselves in mm. times of real danger. But this is not like the same kind of danger, is it? It's more a constructed thing where we need other people to help us get through it but we withdraw and, and and seek it less and we can therefore hold we can reach out to other people and going back to making this systemic in in our organizations mm. we can um mm. try to provide opportunities for yeah. people to have that support totally so whether it's a learning pair whether it's a well-being pair whatever it is i think the more we pair up the mm. more we're likely to create this kind of networked effect around us that we get a lot from when we help other people and they help us so they get a kick too that stuff is really good for regeneration yeah trying to almost formalize matrices and things in yep. an organization particularly if we're going to continue being virtual um which yep. likelihood is so how can we help support those sort of pairings up those cross-functional mm. um relations uh, that yeah. we can actually support yeah. each other yeah brilliant well so perry what are you going to do to energize yourself today today yes so uh so apart from this obviously i was really looking forward to this so uh, i felt pretty pumped about that i've got a lovely interview for somebody who's writing a book about workplace psychology so that's going to spark me into action she sent me the questions already and i've done a little bit of a download so that i know i want to be coherent with it but i know it's going to spark me into all sorts of ways um and then just a couple of client calls um so that one with a not-profit which might be nice i, I get a lot of energy working in the not-profit area um and uh, i am genuinely Start starting to think now about what I can do for the rest of my time in the festive break. I'm really looking forward to not being like on duty and just picking and choosing where I let my energy go. Uh, and I've got a stack of books to read, and I love doing that. Fantastic! That sounds great. Yeah. Well, you've totally inspired me. I've got to say, I feel energised from this conversation, yes. Perry. It's really Thank great. You. Thank you. And so practical. And one thing I think, just to close on what that's because because of how you've 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 triggered questions that made me yeah. think about this and think, right, what am I going to do about that? And I was feeling mm. a bit tired this morning, actually, because I didn't sleep brilliantly last night. So mm. this is great. So I think, what can I do to, to recharge and re-energize mm. um, there? And I was just thinking also, if people know what their values are, you know, the principles thing, yeah. I think yeah. I get energized Yes, by talking about something like that, possibilities, but also with clients, if you feel like you're making a difference, and that's totally. one of my values. So there must be a link there. If we there know is. what our values are, then we'll be yeah. more energized as well. If we can help people as well. And your sense of achievement 
on the journey towards those values, I think is more important than we've given it credit for. So I think company values, we've kind of created just this almost like, you know, smoke screen of what we're here to do, whereas actually your own values and your own sense of achievement towards them is a really recyclical energizing factor. You're like, oh, I did that and it's in line with my values. I feel good about that. I've made a difference, as you say. Um, and then it's almost like, what can I, what else can I do with that now? Yeah, yeah. Really energizing. Fantastic. Thank you, Perry. It's been re you've been really generous with your time. Thank you so much. And um, thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, I'll put links in there to your TED talk or TEDx thank talk you. and various other things. Yeah. If people want to get hold of you, obviously you can find you on LinkedIn. You're Exactly. Yeah. LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, they're, they're, uh, I blog on Medium, those kind of things and the website, pthr.co.uk. Not difficult to find me. Brilliant stuff. And I'll put all of the links in the show notes. Thank you. Thanks so much, Perry. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising, proudly brought to you by Actor Software, the joined up performance and talent management solution. You can access links to any of the information or resources mentioned in the show via the podcast page at www.hruprising.com. If you like what we do, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and leave a review. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising.